it is NY kickoff. So obviously we did a few extra things. We had little streamers, new signs. I kicked balls at some of you. I shot some of my team with water. So it is a little bit of a different night. Uh, and then we have a couple different series we'll jump into this year. We'll be in the book of Numbers uh, in the fall. And then in the spring, we'll be in the book of Hebrews. There'll be some dating stuff in between. Don't worry. I know what you guys care about. Uh, but for tonight, uh, this is just the kickoff event. So I wanted to share with you like, why NYA? Like, what is it that we are trying to do here in this group of people? Uh, why does Northview employ me? Uh, I was not just a diversity hire. That was part of it. But there's more to it. There's more to it than that. So we're going to talk about why NYA. Uh, before I get there, though, I want to tell you a little story about myself. Uh, I came to Canada in 2013, was here for a mission trip, and then uh, moved locally here, like in Oxford, and then moved to Alberta for the summer for a summer job, uh, working for the dad of the girl I was dating at the time that would eventually become my wife. Uh, and because I wanted to impress this guy, basically anything he said, I would say yes to. So he's like, Freddie, you want to get up early? Yes. Freddie, do you like coffee? Yes. Knowing it was a lie. I do not like coffee. I only drink Pepsi and water. So I, if he invited me, I said yes. Uh, and he had a good friend named Dan who was signed up for a triathlon and broke his foot the week before the triathlon. Stress fracture in his foot while he was running. And Dan said to my father-in-law, Jerry, uh, Jerry, can you find me a running partner? So I, will, I can still swim, I can still bike, but I need someone who will run for me. It's, it's a half marathon, it's 21K. Do you know anybody? And Jerry said, Freddie, he's like, he's an athlete and stuff. So he, he had asked me, and what do I say to my father-in-law? Yes. So I said, absolutely. So I remember running this race, and I started off really strong. I, I was keeping up with the pack. I was setting a decent pace. I had good running shoes. You know, I had, uh, back in the day, in 2013, we still used iPod shuffles. So I had my little iPod shuffle, you know, on the armband, and I'm just running, and I'm feeling pretty good. And I, 5K, feeling great. 10K, a little tired, but you know, they got the water stand, the bananas, like, I'm just rolling. And we ran from this little town in Alberta called Fort McLeod, we ran out of town, and then we came back. And I run around, I, I run out of town, I get to the turnaround, I'm coming back, I'm feeling really strong. And then somewhere around the 15 kilometer mark, I started to not feel so strong. Then the 16, or 17 kilometers, somewhere in there, I, like, I started to fade pretty hard. Uh, you know, if you've been running ever, and when you're like kind of gassed, you start to see like stars. I started to see stars. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of the prairies. If I faint here, they will never find me. And I, I was like, maybe I'll slow down a little bit. So I, I started to slow down. And then I got back into town, and I'm like two kilometers from the finish line. And I started walking. I, I just couldn't do it. And then I started getting passed by person after person after person. Uh, what was I lacking? Like, what was it that made it so difficult for me to get to the finish line? In a word, <laughs> training. Uh, I ran this with zero training. I, I'd, I'd been training to run a Tough Mudder, which was only 16 kilometers, which explains why somewhere around the 16 or 17 kilometer mark, I ran out of steam. I just, I had not trained, and I was running by myself. When you're doing something really, really hard, what you need is training, and you need a team. There is significant parallel between my experience in this race and what Christian faith is. If you were gonna be a Christian, 
for any length of time, for your entire lifetime. What you need is training and you need a team. We hope that NYA is that. NYA's mission statement is that we exist to disciple young adults and integrate you into the life of the church. And by that, I mean, we want to be the team that you train with, that you run with, and ultimately that you finish the race with. I have three points tonight. Start the race, run the race, finish the race. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 44. It's a really short passage, uh, but it teaches us what Christian life is and then how NYA can help you in Christian life. So Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And they, these new converts that we meet in Acts chapter 2, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. We're jumping in at the end of Acts chapter 2. And if if you know the book of Acts, you know that Acts chapter 2 tells us the story of Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish festival, also called the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament, 50 days after Passover, where they would celebrate the harvest, right? Wheat, Wheat and barley overlapped, and they were celebrating God has provided for his people yet again. So this was a a festival, a feast in Jewish culture. And it was one of the three pilgrim feasts. So people would travel from all over Palestine to Jerusalem for this festival. And in Acts chapter 2, we get a bunch of people from all over the Mediterranean world that hear the gospel preached and and become Christians. And the same story is where the Holy Spirit arrives. There was a historical event where the Holy Spirit of God came down and filled Christian people. And then every person who's ever been a Christian since that moment is filled with the Spirit of God. So it's a significant passage Towards the end of it, Peter starts preaching a humdinger sermon and 3,000 people become believers in a single day, which means the crowd was much more than 3,000 people because not all of them believed. So it's a significant passage for us. Uh, But what I want to emphasize in this text is the formation of this Christian community. Christian people, like people believe and then stick together. This is the, the beginning of the Christian church. So what phrases in these verses describe the Christian church. I think there's two I want to focus on. The first is we learn something about belief. Verse 44 tells us all who believed were were gathered together. So what first marked these Christian people was that they believed something. Peter preached a sermon and they believed it. They, by knowledge, through their knowledge, said, "I, I agree with that message. Right? And we can read through Acts 2, but in the interest of time, we won't. But I'll, I'll summarize the message. What Peter did was he preached the gospel. He, he came to people, Jewish people, Gentile people, and he told them, uh, there is a God. And for Jewish people, this was not a surprise. They're like, we know there's a God. And like, well, this God has made a way to save you from your sin. Jewish people, again, would have been like, well, this is not a surprise. He gave us his law. And Peter told them, no, no, it's, it's not the law that saves you. It's Jesus. Because what the law does, is it reminds us that all of us fall short of God's glory. Every single person does what they want, right? That would describe you and me. We do what we want. And if God is going to forgive us of our sin, of doing what we want, rather than what God commands, we, he needs someone to, to take our place, to pay the punishment that we deserved. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus took that punishment. And that by faith in him, you get his reward. You get eternal life. So Peter preached this message, and then a bunch of people said, I want that promise. I want that eternal life. I want that gift. I want the Holy Spirit. So a bunch of them believed. But they didn't just believe, because verse 42 tells us, 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's not just that they heard it one time and were like, yeah, it's a good story. I guess, I guess I'm in. They heard the story. They said, I believe. And they said, tell me more. Tell me more about Jesus. Uh, I, I want to know everything. The devoted is a present active verb, which means it's a present continuous action. They sought more knowledge. And this is a reminder for us that Christian life is largely lived in the present tense. There is a past tense. There's a, a point where you have to become a Christian. You do have to start the race. And there's a future tense. You do have to finish the race. But Christian life is lived in the present. You have to run. You have to run hard. But to run, you have to start that race. So this passage reminds us that every single person has to choose to follow Jesus. Peter said in Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people heard that message and said, Yes, I'm in. I'll follow. And this is one of the passages in the Bible where we see repentance and, and we can actually define it. Repentance is a distinctly Christian word. You won't really hear this in other circles. But even in Christian circles, I think we struggle to understand what it means. So I want to give you three C's of repentance. When, when I see repentance, these are the three words that I think define what repentance is. Conviction, confession, change. So when Peter told these people, you, you, have, to, like, you have to believe in, you have to repent, you have to believe in this Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, they had to experience some level of conviction. They had to say to themselves, I, I, I need God. I, I'm broken. I'm in rebellion against this God. All of us, at some point, if we had to start the race, if we're going to start the race, we have to say, I've rejected God. I continue to reject his laws. I am far from God. There is a conviction. Something has to happen in you where you want a change. That conviction, though, has to lead to a confession where you say, God, God, help me. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In Acts chapter 2, the people responded to Peter. And they said, like, what should we do? Like, how can we respond? What the passage tells us, they were cut to the heart. They didn't stop at conviction. They moved to confession when they said, God, help me. Peter, tell me what I need to do to come near to this God who is merciful. <coughs> Third, you have to change. You actually have to choose to follow Jesus. Something has to be different. And... NYA kickoff is a great opportunity to ask all of you, have you started the race? Have you made the decision to follow Jesus? When, like not your mom and dad made the decision, not your siblings made the decision, but you. Where you said, I, I need to change something. I'm experiencing conviction and Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need a church. Lord, I need Christian friends. That confession and then ultimately leading to change. Where you say, God, I want to follow you. God, I'm going to read your word because I, I want to be different. God, can you teach me how to live? In a room of this size, I'm confident that there are people who have not yet started the race. And a passage like this on a day like today reminds us that each and every one of us has to choose to follow Jesus. You have to start the race. So I want to ask you, have you started your race? If you haven't, tonight could be the night. Tonight should be the night. Starting the race is important, but running the race matters too. So our second point today is run the race. We continue in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 45. 
And they, so these same Christian people, these same new believers, were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We transition from starting the race to then running the race. And in running the race, we see the importance of discipleship. Discipleship is this Christian experience of day by day living the Christian life, of becoming more like Jesus. And verse 40, 46, we see the phrase day by day. Every single day, these people woke up and they were Christians and they tried to do Christian things. They gathered together to go to, to synagogue or our version of church. Uh, they ate meals together. They spent time together. These new Christians devoted themselves to daily habits. There were four habits that we see in, in two, chapter 2, verse 42, that led to two major transformations. So I'm going to give you the four habits, and then we'll move into those two transformations. Uh, the, the first of the four habits is they participated, they devoted themselves to, they listened to the apostles' teaching. This phrase is a, a metonymy for like the, the preaching of the gospel. The apostles' teaching meant people, Peter, James, John, the, the apostles who followed Jesus, teaching about the resurrection. Acts 1 verse 8 is like Jesus' final words to the apostles, and he told them, you are my witnesses. Your job is to tell people my story in Jerusalem, in Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, the ends of the earth come to Jerusalem for this festival, and Peter, one of the apostles, is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. We, we see this in, in chapter 2 verse 29, where Peter says these words, brothers or brothers and sisters, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. So Peter's talking to Jewish people about Jewish history. Everyone knew David meant King David. And he says, David died and we know where his tomb is. His tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. So David, in the Psalms, writes in several different places, in Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Psalm 110, that there is someone coming after him who is greater than him. And Peter looks at that, and Peter has those references in mind, and he tells a bunch of people, over 3,000 of them, that this, David is dead, but Jesus resurrected. He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." Peter and the apostles taught people the story of Jesus. And not just that he resurrected, but everything he taught in parables, everything that he did through his miracles. So these people, this new community of faith had four different habits. The first one was the apostles' teaching. The second one was fellowship. They spent a lot of time together. They just were together. They had meals together. They went to the temple together. That day by day, daily, they were spending time together. Uh, they treated each other like spiritual family. And if you've ever been around the church, you, you'll see, usually older people, younger people don't do it as much, but older people are like, brother this, brother that, sister this, sister that. They call each other brother and sister. They're spiritual family. Right? I, I remember this in, in my home church. I grew up in a tiny church in, in Oregon, uh, like 50, 60 people. And there was another family that the, the wife was, like, the, the families were pretty close. And the wife was named Sylvia. And she was super fond of my brother and I. Uh, and she would always call us little brother, hermanito, little brother. 
And that was, that was just her term of endearment. And I'm like, I'm not actually her brother. I'm not her son. I was the same age as her boys, which is like we, why we spent so much time together. But every time she greeted me, and it, it doesn't matter. I've seen her since, like now that I'm married, now that I have my own kids. And she still calls me hermanito, still calls me little brother. This woman to us was basically family. Her and her family came to birthday parties, Bible studies, family dinners. They were family to us. The Reeses, that was her last name, was as much family to me as the Orozco's. That's my family name. But in the church I grew up in, these people were spiritual family. And we didn't bother with putting spiritual in front. We just said family. And the New Testament church was no different. They spent time with each other. They treated each other like family because they saw each other as family. And this was the goal of the New Testament church in, in other places. Ephesians 2, for example. Uh, Paul teaches us that this is how we should view other Christians. They, Christians, are no longer strangers and aliens. So they're not people who don't belong here. They're not people who aren't welcome. But you, you Christians, are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're a brother. You're a sister. You belong here. The New Testament church treated each other that way. They were committed to the apostles' teaching. They were committed to fellowship. Third, they were committed to the breaking of bread. And again, this is a term that, that means communion. So breaking of bread is something that is part of communion. And the phrase is meant to remind us that the New Testament church participated in communion as a regular part of their time together. Uh, if you don't know what communion is, communion is something Christians do to both celebrate and remember the story of Jesus. So they remember that Jesus was a real person who died for the forgiveness of sins and resurrected. That is a story that we need to remind each other of. And they celebrated that he resurrected. He, like he's not dead. He's coming back. And in the same way that you hold bread and wine or juice, you're saying like as real and physical as this is, my eternal life when Jesus returns is the same way. I can almost taste it. And the New Testament church was full, like was consistent in this practice. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 teaches us how they, how they participated in this. And Paul says these words, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We see the remembrance word. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So rather than proclaim, we say celebrate. So the New Testament church partook of communion and they intended to do so to remember the sacrifice of Jesus and celebrate the hope of eternal life. So apostles teaching, fellowship, communion. Lastly, prayer. And prayer is a fundamental Christian practice, even more so than, than communion. Communion you can only take when we're together, but prayer you can do anytime. Apparently we can pray without ceasing, as it says in the New Testament. So these people prayed. And it wasn't just like regular prayer like you and I, like God help me hit another green light. God, please don't let me be late, even though I left not on time. Uh, God, help me pass my test. Like, we pray these things, and there's nothing wrong with praying those things. First Peter 5 tells us, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So we should pray about everything. But the phrase in Acts 2, 42 is the prayers. So the prayers likely meant the Lord's prayer and the Psalms. Like actual prayers written by the people of God to ask for bigger things than you passing your test or hitting another green light. 
Prayers like, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. Or come, Lord Jesus, Father, come back and make all things new. Like earth-shaking prayers, earth-changing prayers. The New Testament church was about that. They prayed because they wanted God to move. They said, God, grow your church. We see this in Acts chapter 1. After Jesus ascended, angels told the 12 apostles and a few other disciples who were around, they said, hey, he's going to come back. Same way you saw him leaving, he's coming back. And they went back to town. And in Acts 1 verse 12, we read this. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, so they went back to their place, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. So the good Judas, not Judas Iscariot. And all of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the woman and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. What we see in Acts chapter 1 is that these people were tremendously committed to prayer. And we know they were praying for God to send his spirit, for God to grow his church, because Jesus had promised them that those things would be true. These four simple habits, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, led to tremendous transformation in the New Testament church. And this is natural. Like, this is what we should expect. When we say Christians run the race, this is what we mean. You, you actually move forward. There is something that is different. Jesus changes us from within, so we live differently. We become different people. Uh, Romans 6 gives us a great image of this. It says, we've been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So Jesus is changing us from the inside out. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The human condition is that we do what we want. And we want to not do what we want. We want to be selfless. We want to help other people. But we always fall back into the same thing. We, we do what we want. We do what's best for me. I'm on team me. And I hope it benefits some of you. And if it does, great. But I only really care about me. And all of us struggle with this condition. Romans 6 says we're enslaved to it. But verse 7, the one who has died has been set free from sin. Jesus sets you free, and if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. So it's not just free from slavery to sin. It's also you're alive with Christ, running a different kind of race, transforming as God works in you. So these Christian habits lead to new behaviors in the people of God. And there's two significant things we see in Acts chapter 2, here in verse 44 and 45, and then in verse 46. In 44 and 45, we see that the Christian people, as an outflowing of their transformation, shared their stuff, like wildly generous with their stuff. When you read through the passage, we're told that no one had any, no one had any need because they sold what they had and they gave to people. And these passages are like fixated on by... by certain people, particularly those with a huge bent towards social justice movements. And people will focus on them and say, like, this is a great example of the redistribution of wealth. So people with lots, give it up. And people with a little, get the stuff. And then everyone is great. You know, utopia. But what we see in this passage is the voluntary, voluntary charity for the good of other people. There were people that tremendously sacrificed by choice. 
Uh, this summer, we did a Bible study in, in the book of Ruth, and encountering the character of Boaz was a great reminder that this is what Christian charity is. Christian charity is not, I hope someone helps. Christian charity is not, I wish the government could step in. Christian charity is, I am going to do something about this need that I've noticed. And Boaz did that. When Boaz encountered Ruth, a, a widow with no one to provide for her, he allowed her to glean in his fields, and then he started giving her stuff. He fed her that day. He sent her home with wheat. Like He provided for this person at great personal cost. And then eventually, he was willing to marry her and risk his own inheritance to provide for this person. Right? Christian charity is a voluntary choice for the good of other people. It's not forced redistribution. So the early church, the New Testament church, was marked by tremendous generosity. They shared, their, they shared their stuff, and they shared their time. They spent so much time together. Uh, we're told that they ate together, they gathered together, they went to the temple together, they took communion together. They were just together all the time. And young adults, maybe you, you love that idea, right? Like, I could just always be with my friends but eventually you're like, I do kind of want to go home. Like, I, I have to go change. Maybe I need to shower. Like, I, I want to be back in my own bed. Like, it is fun to see my people, but I, I want to go back to my old life, my own life, my own space. But the New Testament church, every moment that they could, they were together. And again, I, this reminds me of my own experience growing up back home. Uh, the little church I was a part of, every other Sunday, we had what we called Potluck Sunday, where everyone brought a meal and we had this big kitchen, and all the moms would put it, like put the food in the kitchen. We had a lot of casseroles. That's just what like, nice Mennonite brethren do back home. And throughout the service, like different moms would take turns going out to heat up the food so that after the service, we could all go and eat together. And you would sit with randos. You didn't know who you would sit with, but we just knew this is my brother, this is my sister, so we have to share a meal together. This is how we need to spend our time together. And we don't do potluck here, right? Northview is a much bigger church. It'll be very challenging to do that. But NYA is designed to start to mimic this kind of thing, right? We gather together in a large group, a little bit more than 50 people, but we gather together and we sing songs and we hear the word preached and there's food and there's games in the next room. And all of it is designed to help you spend time together because Christian people spend time together. Christian people are generous. We see this in the New Testament church, and we and we try to mimic what we see in them. They ran their race. In an effort to help you run your race, we're trying to mimic the same things. And if you are going to run your race, what you need, what I need, is we need to make good habits. Right? This New Testament church, they had four really good habits. Teaching, fellowship, communion, prayer, and NYA every single one of these is available to you today. Like every single one of these is available in this church and through NYA. Uh, we read the Bible together. Uh, we have a church group or an NYA group. Uh, we don't take communion here, but we talk about it and we encourage you to take it in the local church that you're a part of. And if you're not part of a local church, we invite you to Northview where you can take communion with us and you can see people be baptized and become members, the kind of things that church do. And we pray. And the question for you is, if you are going to run your race, what are the habits that will help you along the way? 
And I, one of the ones that's really helped me in, in, in my own journey is reading the scripture. This is something I do every single morning. And for most of my life, I'm 32, and most of my life, I really struggled to be consistent. Like, I, I've been a Christian since I was five. So 25 years of mediocrity, or maybe 20-ish. And a couple years ago, I was traveling with Pastor Mark, our lead pastor here at Northview. And I've told this story before, so bear with me if you've heard it. And we, we were traveling. We were in Texas, and we were staying in a hotel, double beds, and I, I woke up because there's a lamp on next to me, and I rolled over to check my phone. Nod with me if you do that first thing. A lot of you should be nodding. I, if I checked your screen time, I'm sure you would, you would have to nod. And I, like, I was going to check the score. There had been a football game on before. I, I care about football. And as I roll over, I look, and Mark's got his light on, and he's scribbling in a little journal, and he's got a Bible open. And I asked him, like, dude, you, like... You're on a trip, man. Like, it's not a big deal if you miss a day. He's like, no, no, no. I don't get out of bed until I read the Bible. That's his habit. And I said to myself, well, if this old guy can do that, certainly I can do that. And so now I don't get out of bed until I read my Bible. And over the last three years, since that moment, I have had the most consistent success in reading the scriptures because I, I will not get out of bed. I, sometimes nature calls and I have to. But like normally, I do not get out of bed until I read the Bible. And I do that. That's a habit that I have because I saw it in a Christian brother. NYA is that kind of space where you can actually make good habits by being around other Christians that have good habits. Or you could be the person who has good habits and influences other people. Uh, we have a reading plan here at Northview. You can join a community group or a Bible study. Uh, membership, baptism are available. We have prayer cards that we hand out to people. At Northview, at NYA, you can make the kind of habits that will help you run your race and that will lead to transformation in your own life. We start the race, we run the race, and lastly, we need to finish the race. So I'm actually going to skip ahead in the book of Acts, Acts 13.43. So way, like months later, years later. Now we have a different character, Paul. And Paul went to a city, he was preaching, the people kind of respond, some do, some don't, and then we read in verse 43, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, so two, two missionaries, who as they spoke with them, urged them, pleaded with them, begged them, looked them in the eyes and said, continue in the grace of God. So when I shared the NY mission statement, NYA exists to disciple young adults and integrate them into the life of the church. What is my goal in that? My goal in that is that you would see that everything I've talked about tonight, starting the race, running the race, finishing the race, fits into that mission statement. I want to urge you tonight, just as Paul and Barnabas did to their converts, that you need to finish your race, and there is no way that you will get there on your own effort. All of us get tired. I got tired running my half marathon. I hadn't trained. And if you are not training, if you're not running the race, if, if you're not running with somebody, you will fade. So what we are intending to do by running live nights every other week and community groups on the off weeks is we're trying to give you opportunities where you can be with other people. You can run with a team. And then you can study the Bible, both in live nights and in community groups or in Bible studies, where you can train, you can learn things about the gospel to help you run your race. The reason we do this is like our passion as the NY team is we want to see you finish the race. 
I, I have no idea how long any of you will be here. This might be the only time you ever come. Maybe you didn't like it. Maybe you thought I was rude squirting people with the gun when they're panicked, obviously, because there's a timer and there's so many people and uh, the names, right? But if you come back and if you keep coming back and if you will be a Christian, the, like the burden that I have, the question that like stresses me out sometimes, honestly, is where will you be in 20 years? And I don't mean like, like physically, but I mean like what kind of person will you be? Will you still be a Christian? Like, I don't know what your family will be like. Will you be married? Will you have kids? Will your kids be Christian? Uh, will you be an ex-evangelical? Will you be someone who walked away because church wasn't for me? Or maybe that's you right now. Will you be a heretic? Will you give up on the Bible? So it's not just that it wasn't for me. It's actually that I think Christians are like bigots and I hate them because I think they're wrong. I have no idea who you'll be in 20 years. I'm not God. I have no way of knowing the future. What I do know is that if you have started the race, you need to run and you need to finish. And to help you run and to help you finish the race, NYA exists to disciple you and integrate you into the life of the church while you are here, whether it is one week, one year, five years, 10 years, I don't care how long it is. While you are here, my hope for you is that you will find some faithful people here that will help you run your race and that you will study and you will learn things about the Christian faith, Christian faith, the Christian faith, so that you are able to finish the race. NY is meant to be a place where you find your team and where you can run. NY exists to disciple young adults and integrate them into the life of the church. Uh, as a way to continue that, I'm gonna pray for you and then we're gonna sing because music forms our thinking of God and we wanna to respond to this challenge to run the race in song. So if you bow your heads with me, I'll pray and then the team will come up and lead us in some songs. While the team is singing, if you want to pray about something, if you're not ready or if you have not yet started your race, if you have challenges in running the race, there'll be people in the back. We have a little prayer corner and people would love to pray with you about whatever's on your heart. So I'm going to pray for us right now. The music team can come up. Father God, thank you for this night. I thank you that there's so many people here, Lord. Father, I pray that those who are here that have not yet started the race would feel a tremendous burden, that they would feel conviction, Lord, that something needs to change. And they'd be willing to move towards confession and towards actual change. Father, for those who are here and that are already Christians, I pray that uh, they would feel challenged, Lord, to step into something new this year, to pursue relationships with other Christians, to invest their time into a community group or a Bible study, to spend their time this year growing. Lord, if we're going to finish the race, we need to run hard. We need a team around us and we need to train. So Father, I pray that people here would feel burdened for that. Lord, bless us, bless our time together. I pray that you would help us run the race, and finish. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.